We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We are just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey, what's up, everybody? I am Cameron. And I'm Willie. And you are watching or listening to The Other Side of Hell Podcast. Podcast. Recovery Podcast. Yeah, welcome to the show. Um, it's, uh, it's good to be here. Good to have you here, Willie. Yeah. Um, I love that I'm not shared, that, that I'm not hosting. Yeah, you hate this seat. I don't hate it, but I feel You've better. You've said hate. You have used that word, hate. <laughs> I don't hate it, you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's not necessarily my favorite place to be either, but, and I wonder why that is. Is it just because we... Uh, pressure. Yeah, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, well, anyways, there's no pressure today because the war story that we have today comes from me. <laughs> so... Um, you kind of know it. Yeah, so I, I am familiar. So, as you know, um, we recently hit a milestone with the show. Um, which I think it's it's uh, important over to acknowledge. One, over 100 episodes. Over 100 episodes of the Other Side of Hell podcast, which, um, did you ever think we'd get there? I, I, I never could see past 25. Yeah. I, I, I could see to 25, and then after that, it was kind of like one one show at a time. Yeah. Well, I think there was definitely a part of me that was like, what's it going to look like when we're at like episode 100? Yeah. And you know what? It doesn't look like I thought it would. Yeah. It's so much better. Oh, nice. You know, um, which is great. I think our community, I just really love the fact that we're able to reach out and talk to you and connect with so many people um, who seem to get a lot from our our uh, our show. And, uh, and really, it's the people that make up this show, right? Like, we're just ambassadors of, of their message. Yeah. And, um, and in that sort of vein, I think it's important that, um, we don't ask anybody to do anything that we're not willing to do ourselves. And so we have shared our stories on the show before you, Willie, shared yours on episode one. Yep. Um, and again, last week, 100 shows later. Right. And, uh, and I shared mine on episode three and now I'm sharing it again. Um, and, uh, and the reason that we did that is because our stories change. Right? Yeah. It's been uh, almost two years since uh, since I recorded my last one. Um, and it's fair to say that a lot has happened since then. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and so, you know, on that note, we uh, you had a chance to listen to my story. The, yeah. The, the news story. Great. And, you, and you came up with a, a topic of, of worth discussing today. Yeah. Which is uh, compromising our morals. Yeah. Right. Which I don't know anything about. Right. That's why I want to discuss this because. Well, yeah. I, I, you want some insight because you don't know anything about it. <laughs> right. I wish I. Well. That's not exactly true. I was trying to be funny. I, I know a thing or two about compromising my moral standard and crossing that invisible line that I always swore I wouldn't cross again and again. Like I kept moving the, I kept moving the, the stop line. Yeah. Like I'll go this far, but I'm never going to do that. Well, I did that, but I'm never going to do this. 
I'm that bad. But if I ever get as bad as that guy, well, that guy, I'm way worse than him now, but at least I'm not as bad as this. Like it just kept moving, you know? So was there ever a point where it was just gone altogether? Um, or did, I don't it, know. did it always feel like there was like something that you weren't willing to do? And by sort of holding on to that one thing that you weren't willing to do, you sort of, because in my experience, it seems like by having that one thing that I hadn't yet done yet, I was justifying that negative behavior. Well, I haven't, I haven't, you know, fucked anybody that didn't want it yet. Yeah. So I must still be good. I mean, I don't, I don't think there was, I think, I think it's by the grace of God only that I don't have a lot of these things in my story period, especially when I was young and running with the gangs, like, like there was definitely a willingness to commit murder and, and do what, whatever was necessary for, you know, to prove my loyalty to the streets at that Mm. time, you know? So I don't know that there wasn't, um, I, I don't know that there you know, that there wasn't a line that I wouldn't cross. And it's probably, like I said, by the grace of God that I didn't have to period. Yeah. You know, because I, I became pretty dangerous for a long time. So yeah, thankful for that. You know, there's a lot of things that I didn't end up doing, you know, like, like intravenous drug use, you know, believe it or not, isn't part of my story. Right. And it's not, not because of a lack of willingness. Again, that's probably by the grace of God. When I, when I was ready to start shooting up dope, it never happened. Wasn't available. Yeah. 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 And I ended up getting sober. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and so. And yeah, and that's, and that's the thing is like, we all have these things that we said we never, we were never going to do. And in my story and and you'll get to hear it, um, you know, there were several times, uh, throughout my life where I crossed that boundary. Right. Um, and in doing so in my experience, what happens is, um, I begin to take on a level of shame, um, that, uh, that just negates more negative behavior. Right. Um, and, and I think that it's important to talk about those moral boundaries because it's important to, um, move past our, our, the things we've done in our yeah, past. The shame right? and the guilt right. and, and the beating of ourselves. Right. And, uh, and luckily, you know, today we get to a place where we don't, we, we do not wish to shut the door on our past, right. um, nor wish to change it. Um, and, uh, and that's been my experience today. I don't regret anything. Right. Um, but I sure, you know, at those moments, those pivotal moments in my life, it sure did feel, um, pretty bad to, yeah. uh, to look at my behavior and say, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Um, a big one for me was smoking. Did you, did you ever feel like the guilt and shame from, from not, smoking? Not from smoking. Not, not until Avery got pregnant. <laughs> and then it was just because, and then it was just because I there knew, was a child like, on the way, like that I was, had some responsibility, but no, I was, I was highly attractive to negative behavior, but, um, you know, um, so no, not smoking. I, I really enjoyed smoking pretty much the entire time I smoked. Um, I, uh, 
but like you, you know, it started at a, at a very young age. Mm-hmm. It was like always there. And, and you sharing your story a little bit about that, which is something that not everybody touches on, but I think is a big part of everybody's story is the nicotine and, and you know, the imagery that goes along with being a smoker, being that, right, being that one of the things that you share and we'll get to it again, you know, is, is the parking lot crew. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Like, like being the, being the outcast down there in the parking lot, I could relate with that. Um, but, but morally, not really for me, mm. not that it, it was the hard drugs. I was going to say, so what was it? What, I mean, what was the first moment where you really felt like, you know, that inner voice, because I think, I think that that's one thing to touch on too, is like, we, we do have this inner voice sort yeah. of the entire time. Um, that yeah, what do we mean us, by moral? Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's telling us the things that are right and the things that are wrong. And, uh, and what, what was it for you? Like, what was the first instance of you sort of pushing past that inner voice, that, that, that conscience, um, and, and crossing that line? For for me, it was definitely pornography. Mm. You know, um, I was exposed to it at such a young age, but from, for some reason, um, I always kind of felt dirty and wrong, but very attracted to, uh, sex in general, but when, when it came to pornography, you know, I, I knew that there was probably something the matter with it because I always kept it hidden. I, I, I never openly spoke about it. And, and, you know, I was four or five years old. Uh, it wasn't uncommon where I grew up to find a stack of playboys in anybody's dad's house right. or, or hustlers or, or whatever, you know, and then take one and run it down to the forest and bury it under a tree and, try to try to navigate my behavior around it and go take frequent trips to the to the pleasure tree <laughs> what's, what's what's funny is that you will you know. i have undug that porno like, <laughs> i've been the guy on the receiving end of that of that magazine <laughs> you know so uh, i can laugh now but uh, i mean you know really i mean that was the first time and then and and when it would be talked about in church or or whatever the adults were talking about the negative effects of pornography around me i just felt that shame of like oh i i have one of those Mm -hmm. there must be Mm -hmm. something wrong with me yeah and i think that that what you just said is the biggest thing about any of this behavior right the 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 compromising of morals is that that's that's generally where we want to take it. There must be something wrong with me. Yeah. Like the fact that I have this line and here I am crossing it. Why? There must be something wrong with me. Um, and 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 what that sort of mentality will do to us and uh, and and the mind frame that it will put us in um, is only going to lead us towards more of that behavior. Sure. Um, in my story, when I talked about you know the parking lot crew. It, uh, it really put me into this sort of bad boys club. Yeah. Right. Like where all of a sudden, like I'm a kid from the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm nobody that uh, you want your daughter to go home with, (laughs) Yeah, you know, which is true anyway, which is, I mean, it's so funny because like, that's literally the only thing that I did. Like I was such an innocent kid otherwise, like, especially when I compare my, adolescence to somebody like you who was um, highly involved in crime and, and gang activity and things like that. And I think, you know, you and I, before we started the show today, we were like, you could not have had a different 
upbringing, a more different yeah. upbringing than I did. Um, and, uh, and yet there's still those similarities, So much right? the same. Yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, despite that, you know, like I still had, um, those moments where when I would move past that, I felt the same as you did. Now I'm a bad kid. Yeah. So I'll show you bad kid. Yeah. And, and what that looked like for me was a lot different than it looked like for you, but it was that mentality kind of felt the same. Though. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and it brought me to those negative places and that negative behavior much as it did yourself. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think that that's what happens when we cross that line. But I think it's interesting because where, where do we think that these morals come from? Like right. there's almost this part of me that wants to say like, they're just God given, but that's, right. that, I, I don't know. Do you think that's I, true? I think it must be. Um, I don't know how else to explain it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I know that there's a thing called empathy, which is my ability to, to put myself and in, in imagine how you feel based on the way that I treat you or whatever you're going through. Right. I can imagine being in your place. So there's that. And so having empathy towards other people, you know, I know that, that I don't want to punch you in the face cause I don't want to be punched in the face. I don't like it. Yeah. Like, like kind of thing. But when you're a child, when you, you know, when I was a child, I didn't have that empathy. And I know that because I have children that are, that are young. And when you're, you know, three, four five years old, the world does kind of revolve around you. And, and, and I didn't know how to navigate outside of that, but I still had these moral standards inside of me that, that, um, that I knew that it wasn't okay for me to take things that weren't mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I knew that it wasn't okay for me to hide things that, and it wasn't okay for me to not be honest. Um, and, and just being afraid of getting in trouble for that stuff was a big part of why I kept all that stuff secret, you know? And so where, where do, what is more, what is more like Jordan, give us a definition of moral will the, cause, cause definitions definitely help. I know you're a person that really likes to define everything. <laughs> and so I think that that's okay. But, I mean, it really does help. What you got, Jordan? Okay, so a person's standards of behavior or beliefs concerning what is and is not acceptable for them to do. Yeah. For them. So their standards or beliefs. That is acceptable for them themselves to do. You know, like that being said, like I have to think that these standards come from a lot of the times, like the way that we are raised. Um, I know in my case, and I touch on it a little bit in my story, like I, you know, had somewhat of a religious upbringing, but I don't know because like, it really feels to me like, and maybe it's just because once I got away from that religion, I still had those morals and yeah. standards. Um, it feels to me like it's deeper than, than that. I agree. Yeah. It, it feels like it is more a part of me than I the, care to admit. Yeah. Than just like somebody instilling that yeah. in you, right? Yeah. Kind of like my work ethic and, um, you know, my love for, for my family. Like it's, it's a part of who I am and I, yeah. and it's like a part of my DNA. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. You know, that's a great way to put it. And I think honestly, like 
it almost feels like it's such a big part of my alcoholism. Um, those those morals and standards, because what happens is when I compromise them, as we've talked about, I have that guilt and shame. And I think that that's sort of where um, things go downhill mm-hmm. is is once I'm in that state of guilt and shame. And, and I dare say that every alcoholic or addict that I know about finds themselves in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that there's something, there's something for me that's spiritual in nature about having that voice within that's telling me what's right, what's wrong, what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing, and then doing the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and, And the feeling that I get inside when I ignore or do the opposite of what that inner voice or that consciousness is telling me to do. Um, And I think that that's where I get into that negative space that will just lead to more of that, you know, moral compromising behavior. So it it was very easy for me to justify, you know, stealing from somebody when I've already been lying to the people around me, yeah, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, do you find that to be, yeah, I mean, drugs and drugs and alcohol numb our authentic self, right? Like they, they definitely numb who we really are and, and being influential, having, you know, being young and, and having the influences of people around us, uh, makes it a little bit easier to compromise those and drown out that voice of consciousness. I think, um, one of the, one of the big, big, uh, mistakes that the authorities had with me was there was never an explanation of how to fix these kind of things, you know, like, Mm. like, um, the fact that like the temptation to steal is pretty common. Right. Um, but how do you, how do you, change that desire it, it there wasn't an alternative for me there wasn't an explanation of you know when you steal look at how you feel about it right and and what's something you can do to clean that up it was it was more of like just don't steal and when I couldn't just not steal it did what you were talking about you know it, just don't look at porn and when I couldn't just not look at porn it did what you were talking about you know that 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 feeling of something the matter with me. And what I found was the drugs and alcohol helped me feel like there wasn't anything wrong with me and there wasn't anything wrong with the way I was behaving. Now, um, while intoxicated that, that standard of living worked well, but upon sobering up all the nightmares of the emotions came rushing back in from the night before going, Oh God, what, what did I do? Why did I sleep with that person? You know, I, how did I get here again? Like, you know, and I'd have to revisit those negative emotions about myself and, and it would solidify the idea that, that I am broken. Like, yep. See, see again, like mm-hmm. I promised myself that I wouldn't sleep with my buddy's wife. I promised myself that I wouldn't steal from my parents. You know, I made this resolution to myself that I wasn't going to do this drug anymore. And upon awakening, it would be like, see, there you are again. See, mm-hmm. see, you are broken. See, see. And, and, and so, uh, I don't know, like the, the, the ability to step past that, 
today is is a great gift for sure right um how how we got there is like i don't know (laughs) well what do i what do i consider right and wrong i think about my own children you know how do i how do i teach them to be moral on their own standards yeah that's the hope yeah that's a good point is um yeah, you really, I mean, really, you just try your best to, to be a good example. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, and that's... Don't be a hypocrite. That should never work for me. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like that's sometimes all we can do. And I think with our kids, obviously, it's going to be a different story. Let them, yeah. let them know, like, that is right, that is wrong. Um, and that's according to God's standards, not yeah. anybody else's. Um, but yeah, I can't tell you as you were talking, like it was making me think like there was so many times when, you know, I was really in the throes of, of the disease where, you know, I, I go to, uh, I go to a location with every intention of, of compromising my morals. Like I'm going, you know, like I'm, I'm going to my grandma's house under the guise of being a good um, grandson visiting his elderly grandmother offering to help her at all but really like my my plan is to raid her medicine cabinet right, right? Um, and uh, and how there's a part of me that in that sort of in that mindset I know that this is wrong but I'll literally have this this whole back and forth with myself and say you know what I'll think about this later. I'll think about this later. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I need this. Like I absolutely need it. Um, and if you uh, felt like me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just justified in that. Like if you felt like I, I feel you would do this too, you know? And if grandma knew she would understand. Yeah. And, uh, and then like you believe in that bullshit. Oh yeah. Kind of, kind of believing it in, in fucking just feeling that tear of, of, like you're being torn apart inside. Yeah, well, because literally, I mean that the, those two parts of me are are constantly at battle. Yeah, and and it's no wonder, you know, like with the inner battle that's taking place twenty four seven, that I'm either drowning it out with more drugs and alcohol, or I'm just living in utter misery. Yeah, um, seeking, finding, you know trying to get whatever I can to, to, to stop this feeling inside. Um, and, uh, and any, any alcoholic or addict knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, like being able now to, to look at, uh, at that behavior and understand it from a, I was, I was under the influence of, of drugs and alcohol. B, none of this means that I'm an actual bad person. Right. And, uh, and see, like I have an opportunity now to make amends for those things. Yeah. And I think that that's an important part of, um, of the puzzle is that's also now a moral standard, right? Is that if I do any of these things that compromise who I am as an individual, I apologize for it. And I learn from that behavior, um, because without that, I, again, am compromising my morals. Yeah. And, uh, and that for me does not take me to a great place. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a, a fun discussion. Uh, yeah. Morals are, morals are interesting. Mine, mine might be different than yours, My, you know? So when, when we say that to thine own self be true, it's, it's important that you be true to that oneself, you know? 
Um, when you share in your story, you're talking about, you know, crossing that line of, of drug use from one to the next, you know, and, and those behaviors going from one to the next. And, you know, I think it's, it's up to each person to really dive in and dissect what it is they believe about what's right and wrong for them. I think, I think that there's some definite, um, uh, like, like standards of morality that that we can all agree on, you know, stealing, um, unjustifiably killing somebody, uh, you know, forced sexual activity, th- those kind of things are all, in my opinion, like, like they're no brainers. They're right. like not even stuff that you have a conversation about. But, you know, when we start getting into our own consensual sexual activity, like, like, what does that really mean? Where am I standing on that morally? You know, when, when we talk about, um, spirituality, you know, what are, what are the things that I believe are okay within, you know, your certain religion? Like are the things that your religion are teaching, are they really moral or, you know, are you going along with it because, you know, you feel like that's the right thing to do? Um, you know, along with, uh, you know, maybe the type of, of way that you're eating in, in taking care of the physical body that you have, you know, is, is what you're doing with that. Is that, uh, moral to, you know, the kind of life that you want to live or your health or the outcome of, of, you know, the longevity of your lifespan. Um, how do we treat ourselves as far as like the internal talk, you know, because sometimes for me, Every once in a while, man, I'll, f- I'll fall back into this lazy, mm-hmm. sluggish, mm-hmm. uh, check in the box kind of person. Right. And for me, morally, I need to do more. And, and every once in a while, I'll have to give myself a mental verbal spanking and say, come on, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And, and I have to have this, uh, what a lot of people would consider negative self-talk, you know, and, and that lasts for as long as it needs to last. And then I have to shut it off and go back the other direction. And for me, that's morally okay for me to be honest about whether I'm being lazy or not and stuff like that for other people. Like you don't get to tell yourself anything negative, like everything that you say inside your head has to be positive. And for them, that's morally correct. So I think, you know, when we go back to uh, everything I needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. If if you look that up, it's 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 pretty basic. You mm-hmm. know, be nice, right? Don't steal. Probably a good idea to not have sex with your brother's girlfriend. You know, that's going to hurt everybody. And you know, the important thing to remember on a lot of this stuff is is you know, shame is a is a belief that I have about me, and guilt is a belief I have about something I've done. Right. And, and usually I didn't feel guilt without shame and the shame trumped the guilt every time. Right. Like I, I would drink to drown out the shame from the guilt of what I've done. So if I don't do the things that cause me guilt, I won't need to drink because of the way that I feel shame Hmm. type stuff. Right. Like, like, don't be a dick. Yeah, don't be a dick. <laughs> That's probably morally okay. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there were just so many times, uh, you know, when when we were out there using and drinking that that I didn't really, you know, it began to, to be difficult to know, like, what, what were my values and what were my standards? Because 
what I would find myself doing more often than not. And I think for me, a lot of it came, um, a lot of it was noticeable when I was in like sexual relationships. Right. Um, and, and, uh, and it became so easy to fool myself into thinking that I somehow was, was still within the boundaries of my own morals when, you know, I would, maybe not lie in order to get sex, but I would definitely stretch the truth or I would, um, over exaggerate my own affection or, you know, and like like the way you felt about that other person. Yeah. Yeah. In order to get what I wanted. And then once I got what I wanted, it was, um, yeah, that was a lie. It was a different story, (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like, like, no, I really do feel this way about her. Like, you know, and then once we have sex, I immediately don't feel that way about her. And so it's funny because your, your body or your mind really, really play tricks on you in order to, to justify this behavior. And so there's a part of me that knew I didn't want to compromise any of my morals and standards. And, and that part was a, constantly in battle with the addict. So it's like those two would meet and have a negotiation. (laughs) It's like, okay, dude, here's the thing. I know you want your drugs, but we can't cross this line. So what are we going to do about it? All right, here's what we do. We borrow money for bills (laughs) from your dad and then take the money that you would pay your bills with and get drugs. That way you're not asking your dad for, for money for drugs you're asking your dad for money to help you pay bills. Got it. (laughs) You nailed it. You know, and these were things that I actually did, right? Like, um, and that was a way for me to somehow like toe the line of, Hey, I'm still, I, I wouldn't ask my parents for money for drugs. I wouldn't do that. But by the way, I'm, you know, a hundred dollars short on my, uh, mortgage this month because I spent the money on drugs can you help me out? And of course they would. Yeah. But, uh, but so, you know, like, and these are all the things that come from being in the throes of the disease and, and, and having that spiritual malady, because of course, you know, once I get down the road and I see clearly like that, that's what's going on in that instance, it becomes, um, another opportunity that I get to make amends for, you know? Um, but, uh, but, Cunning, baffling, and powerful, yeah. you know, um, so, so true. And, uh, and it, it, it's funny that it can still, it can still sneak in. Yeah. Right. Still have these moments where is this, is this the kind of person I am? Really? Do yeah. you, do you find that to be, uh, the case today? Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah, man. I have to call my sponsor. You know, for me, lust is a big one, dude. I, I, I go back to that all the time, all the time. It's, it's the one thing that I continually, you know, I, the, des- the desire to, to use and drink has been lifted from me completely, but the desire for me to, to, you know, spread my seed throughout the land has not left me. Um, some days it's better than others. Right. The, the feeling of needing validation through the affection of other people. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I love my wife dearly. That's why she's my wife. And we have a great relationship. We have a good relationship with our kids or, you know, we're open. We've done a lot of work to have a really positive and open and honest relationship. And, and that comes into like financially, sexually, emotionally, physically, you know, um, 
having fun together, all those things. But the desire to go outside of that continually pops up in my life. And I have to be honest that, you know, uh, I can lose myself in the thought of being with other people for moments at a time. And uh, I'll find myself like scheming and thinking and desiring going outside of that. And I have to shut it down and call my sponsor. And, you know, I got that from your sponsor the way to identify that you know like my lust is high today and i need Mm -hmm. to talk about it i have Mm -hmm. to talk about it before you know i go out and actually do some of this stuff that i'm thinking about and and being able to talk about it and identify that stuff really alleviates a lot of the the pressure of secrecy right because when i'm trying to live in that secret place uh uh, it, that's what it feels like is there's this huge pressure inside of me mm. and it's trying to boil over. And, um, when I start sharing about this stuff, honestly, then, then yeah, you know, having a standard of, of eating in my home, man, you know, it causes, causes a lot of that. Um, you know, and it's not so much, it's not the food. Um, it's, the thing that we're trying to teach our children about nutrition and how to take care of our bodies. Right. And so when I step outside of, of like what, like when I eat something that I wouldn't feed my kid, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Then I feel like shit of that, not because of the food that I ate, but because of the principle behind it. Sure. Right. And so, so yeah, I still have, these moral struggles that I wish I didn't have. But at the same time, I'm like, what would my life be like without them? Like, what would, what could I possibly be working on? That's harder than this. Yeah. Yeah. Food and sex were the, were the two things that were always there when the drugs weren't. Yeah. And, and now the drugs and the alcohol are gone and guess what's still there. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I, I became alcoholic through the way that I drank, but really that was the solution for the problem that I have, that I'm always trying to find something out there to fix the way that I feel in here. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's really cunning and, and baffling that, um, everything I have in my life today is an answered prayer yeah. and I can, I can go through and absolutely degrade all of that through my own selfishness even today. Right. And so I have to I have to keep that in check and remind myself like you wanted all this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you can lose all this in the matter of a fucking decision. So better get your shit together, man. And fucking think about what it is you're trying to do. You better call somebody now. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I really, uh, when you're talking about food, it just made me think about how many times, you know, like I've taken time away from my wife or from friends or um, whatever the case is so that I can, um, satisfy myself with food. I can eat you. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and and I don't like the way that that feels. Yeah. You know? It's like, really? Is this really what I'm doing? Is I'm choosing to do, to, uh, to fucking glutton um, instead of helping somebody or talking to somebody or spending quality time with somebody or, yeah. you know, and this again, like comes back to like, where did this value come from? Where did I, where did I pick up the value that it was more important to help people than to, to, to stuff my face? Right. <laughs> And, uh, and I mean, then that in particular, like a lot of that stuff has come from a program of recovery. Sure. Yeah. I can see that. 
um, you know, I picked up a lot of new morals and standards um, in the rooms after after getting sober. Mm-hmm. Like another big one for me is being somebody that answers the phone when somebody calls. <laughs> yeah. And calling somebody back if they've called me. And, uh, and I'm always so surprised. Like that's definitely something that I've learned through AA, you know, is like if somebody calls me, answer the phone. If, if you don't answer the phone, then call them back. And it's not to say that I'm always great at that, but when somebody doesn't do it for me, I'm always like, really? Is that the kind of person you are? <laughs> like if I call somebody, I'll judge you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, and, and they don't, they don't answer and they don't call me back. I'm like, what the fuck is up with you, bro? <laughs> you know? And I have found that to be yeah. true. I have found that, you know, in those situations where it's like, Hey, that's, that's just not within them. You yeah. Know? That's not, that's not who they are. And, and, and again, it just makes me grateful that, I've been able to, um, to get to a place where, you know, some of those things are now a, a standard, Yeah, you know, they are a must because that's the kind of integrity that I want, that I want to have. Yeah. It's the kind of person you want to be. That's the kind of person yeah. that I want to be. Um, and, uh, doesn't mean it's natural or easy or any of that shit, right? It still comes with, with a level of effort, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when, when answering the phone is easy, then putting down the fork is hard. It's right. like, there's there's all these different levels and, and we're going to do better in one area than another different times of our day, different times of our week. Um, the important thing is to remember like definitely what does not work, right? Like, like going out and drinking and using drugs does not work in my life. You know, going and having an affair on my wife will not work in my life. Going out and getting in a fight to alleviate some type of stress or, or anger will not work in my life. Any any of those things, even though I can have the desire for all of those things, mm-hmm. acting out on it is is what will will take me back out. And and that's you know the simplicity of it that I talk with my sponsor from time to time is, you know you know what Willie you're human. Yeah. You know what you're dealing with isn't. Uh, isn't like just reserved for alcoholics and Mm -hmm. drug addicts. Mm -hmm. This is a human problem. The Mm -hmm. desire to do things and have things that you don't have and want to do things that aren't good for you. That's a human issue. We all deal with it. You know, the question is, what are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. And, and today I'm going to, I'm going to program it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to ask for help from a power outside of myself. That's greater than me to give me 10 minutes of sane thinking, right. which is something I learned in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Give me 10 minutes of th- sane thinking. And usually by the end of that 10 minutes, I've either talked to somebody or I've gotten to a destination that's safe for me. Hmm. And that's, that's the miracle of this thing. Man. Yeah. You know, the, the little things like that, that work yeah. moment to moment. Yeah. I love that. I, 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 uh, I, ha- I often have to do that. And that's something that, you know, I'll, I'll, converse with my sponsor as well as like remembering like what what is as a result of me just being alive right like I'm human yeah this is why I think that way because it is easy for me because I have the disease of alcoholism it is easy for me to want to just brush everything like chalk everything up to that like well I'm defective because I'm an alcoholic yeah you know and, uh, and there's a lot of times where I'll share, I'll share things, um, with normies, quote unquote normies, you know, with that sort of mindset of like, Oh, I'm sure you don't have to deal with this, but this is what I'm dealing with. And they'll go, 
Yeah, yeah, I totally get it. I totally get that. And it's like a good reminder, like, oh, so I'm not just always <laughs> fucked up and I'm not always dysfunctional, like no more than the rest of you anyways. Yeah. Um, the, the good thing for me and and the part that I have to remember is that I have a program of recovery. A solution. Yeah, like exactly. We've been given a solution. And uh, and that for me yeah. is is a better thing to separate myself from um, than me thinking I'm broken. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. in the end, it, it, most of the time, most of the days at this point, this stage, it it's pretty smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's pretty pretty level you know do the do that uh you know that what do you call that that rpm you mm-hmm. know yeah. reading meditation and prayer do the do the maintenance of, of the stuff that got us sober helped us stay sober that we were taught how to manage our emotions and and the outcomes of life you know and you don't know what to do don't do anything reach out for help all, all the things the tools that we've been given and have had the the fortune to try and find success in right going to a meeting hopping on listening to the podcast um you know going on instagram connecting with somebody in the recovery community there being of service mm-hmm. um, doing something around the house getting outside of myself you know I've, I've experimented with all of those things you know fortunately for whatever reason becoming an alcoholic a human with right. all those same problems plus alcoholism has given me the opportunity to have a program of a solution for all those things that when I pick it up and use it, my life becomes pretty successful and I'm able to go to bed at night, successful, sober, and generally happy, mm-hmm. you know, not holding on to a lot of resentments or anger towards the fucking guy that cut us off in the, in the road or, you know, because I'm living with a bunch of guilt from an affair that I just had or being overly stuffed from the three pints of ice cream I ate before I got home or any of that shit, you know, for the most part, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like it. I'm happy Amen. about that. Yeah. It's taken some time. That's for sure. You know, and it's not a smooth road and I appreciate <laughs> that. You know, um, if, uh, if you've listened to, um, my story previously, you'll see that, uh, that when you listen to it now, it's changed. Um, and, uh, and not in any sort of bad way or it's not like your past changed. Right. And it's not like, uh, there's been a bunch of bad shit happened from then until now either. Um, I think depending on where we're at in our recovery, um, that we're going to emphasize different parts of our story, yeah. um, because they might be things that we're reflecting on more, um, at this stage of the game. And I think that it's interesting having heard yours last week, um, and remembering where you started and, and now to, to visit mine as well. Um, and, uh, and I think that, uh, that this is a really good opportunity to just share it with everybody. Yeah. So Show let's get into this it. topic. You guys, this is Cameron's war story. <laughs> This week's war story is brought to you by Brainwash Coffee. Brainwash Coffee is damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which is why Brainwash Coffee is the perfect partner for us here at the other side of hell. With blends like Higher Powder and Ego Ain't Your Amigo, Brainwash Coffee has your back no matter what your poison. 
Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee order when you use promo code OTHERSIDE at brainwashcoffeeco.com. Clean your bean with Brainwashed. And without further ado, here is this week's war story. All right. Um, I am Cameron, and I am an alcoholic. I definitely like my drugs as well. Um, and this is a place I never thought that I would ever find myself. Um, I don't come from a, an alcoholic family. Um, there's not a lot of that in my genealogy, um, nor do I. It's fair to say that, uh, that that's in my roots. What I do know is that um, for me, alcohol got to a point um, where I was doing it even when I didn't want to. And when I wanted to stop, I couldn't. And that to me means that I definitely have the disease of alcoholism or the ism as they say. Um, <clears throat> So what it was like is, uh, you know, I uh, grew up the youngest kid um, in a family of four, and my upbringing was probably pretty normal. Um, I am in Utah, and so here in Utah, there is a big um, religious presence. Um, you can probably guess which one. And, um, and there were elements about that uh, in my family, although somewhere around the age of 13, um, I decided that that wasn't for me. Um, I always had a sense of a God, but I wasn't really sure that the God that I was listening to um, was the, uh, the God that actually resonated with me in my, in my heart. So, um, and, you know, in all honesty, I think at the age of 13, I stepped into a very socially awkward period of my life um, where I didn't know how to be um, in the world. I didn't know how to exist. And um, rather than turning to drugs and alcohol at that point, I actually turned to a couple of other dudes that sort of felt that same way. So. We uh, were sort of outcast um, and we had found each other growing up. And so for the longest time, I had two friends who um, were a lot like me and we didn't drink or drug. Um, somewhere in high school, I remember um, I tried drinking for the first time and I got hammered drunk and uh, never really had much of a desire to do it again. Um, but, uh, but I do remember um, smoking and I took on smoking when I was 16, 15 or 16. And that is something I said I would never do. I watched an older brother smoke and I didn't really understand it, even though this older brother was somebody I really looked up to. Um, so um, as time went on, I remember immediately sort of stepping into this 
bad boy role when I started smoking and feeling like I was now the, the kid that was stepping across across the road during lunch at school to have a cigarette instead of hanging out with my friends, right? Um, and, uh, and I was the parking lot crew, as they say. Um, anyway, so fast forward to, you know, after high school, me and these outcast friends, um, uh, eventually we, we kind of dispersed. One of us went on to uh, the army. And at that time I knew that I was going to go ham. Um, I had pretty much steered clear of everything. I had tried marijuana and really liked it, but these friends were enough for me to, uh, to just not do any of that stuff. We sort of just had this pack that we didn't need any of that stuff. Right. Um, so when, when that disbanded, I immediately knew that I was in for a wild ride. Um, and, and, uh, and that's sort of exactly what happened. I found a bigger group of friends and we partied all the time. Um, we were drinking every weekend, sometimes through the week. And, and I had found like this new sort of acceptance that I'd never really had before. Um, and, and it, it felt like it came from a combination of um, the, the people that I was spending my time with and the alcohol that we were putting into our system. Um, there was definitely a moment with these friends where, you know, I knew I had tried weed, I knew I was drinking more often, but I was never gonna um, do anything that wasn't natural, right? Um, and then one night we were partying and we had a friend there who uh, had some ecstasy and he had talked about it a little bit before, um, but he brought ecstasy with him to this party. We stepped into a side room, he crushed it up into lines and then he just looked at me and it handed me a rolled up dollar bill. And I just knew right then that uh, that, you know, I was crossing that line. I was crossing a line that I had said I was, I was never going to cross. And, um, and, and I did, you know, and I, I really liked ecstasy. Um, ecstasy would come into the fold once every month or so. Um, and along with it, gratuitous sex with, uh, you know, whomever um and i just found myself sort of engaging in in all this behavior that to me um kind of crossed a moral boundary that i had always had for myself um it's hard to say where that boundary came from but um i always had this sense of good within myself and I quickly found myself um, engaging in behavior, whether it was, you know, lying to women or um, um, 
or stealing or lying to friends or, you know, whatever the case was, I found myself engaging in that more and more. And, and it became easier to sort of cross that moral boundary. Um, eventually, uh, you know, it would get to the point where that group sort of disbanded just naturally because we were all just getting older. I was in my late 20s at this point and, uh, and people were going on to have families and, um, and so naturally people started going their separate ways. People were stopping, you know, the drug use, people was, weren't, weren't drinking as often. And this was the first time that I had ever really found myself. And I didn't really know how to exist without all that stuff. Um, and so it became a smaller and smaller crowd every weekend and um, and I would gravitate towards those people who I knew would drink and drug the way that I did. Um, I was the guy that could get shit. I was the guy that could, um, you know, find somebody else to, to connect. And there was a part of me that really, really like that. Um, there was a part of me that, um, that was okay with identifying with that. Um, anyways, as, as time went on, um, you know, this was still something that was regulated mainly to the weekends. And I was always pretty responsible with a job and, and, um, commitments with my family. Um, and was able to maintain that way of life for, um, you know, three or five years until, um, until I finally kind of uh, consumed the drug that would ultimately uh, be my undoing. And that was um, Oxycontin. I had a cousin who was, uh, sick with cancer and he had been prescribed to um, vast amounts of pain medication and um, although pain pills had sort of been around in the party scene people would sometimes munch on a couple of Lortab or Percocet or whatever the case was while we were partying and drinking. Um, this was the first time that Oxycontin had sort of uh, been in the scene. And I knew that he was selling pills to certain people within the crowd. And eventually I decided I wanted to try it. Um, I had tried everything else. And so there was no reason not to. And and it was sort of game over from that point forward. Once I tried Oxycontin, I always wanted Oxycontin. And if I didn't have Oxycontin, I was drinking. And so this is, it's almost like the Oxycontin flipped a switch in me. And even the things that hadn't been a problem before, such as alcohol, and then became a problem because the minute I couldn't get my hands on 
my drug of choice, which ultimately just turned into pain pills. The minute that I couldn't get my hands on that, I was drinking and I was drinking mass quantities and I was drinking daily. And then anytime I did have my drug of choice, I was drinking because I needed to intensify that feeling. Um, and so alcohol then became um, my new master. There were several instances with family members where I would show up to family events intoxicated. Um, and I really had this wonderful way of brushing it off, disregarding it and justifying it to those around me or just chalking it up to, you know, plain old depression. Um, but as time went on, it became more and more evident um, in my behavior that this was becoming more and more of a problem. I mean, the thing was is that I didn't really have any sort of understanding um, of addiction. I didn't know what alcoholism was, and I didn't know what it meant to be powerless over uh, a drug or alcohol. And so I was just sort of naively going through these motions um, with, with these substances, not knowing why it was I wanted the things I did, why I was doing the things I was, and how come I couldn't stop. And eventually I had this relative, this cousin, um, who I was really, really close with, who was supplying pain pills, pass away. And, uh, and I didn't understand it. I really struggled to understand. And I actually out loud, I cursed God. Um, and even though I wouldn't call myself a religious person, I did always have this sense that God or there was at least a higher power um, in all things. And in that moment, I cursed whatever that higher power was. I removed it completely from my life. And any aspect of it um, was just pure resentment. And it's funny because I can really look back and almost chalk up that moment to my downfall. It seems like from that point forward is when things just went to hell quickly. Um, I had several attempts of trying to quit on my own. I began to see that this was indeed a problem. Um, one incident I'll touch on really quickly is um, I we have a family cabin um, that's about six hours away uh, deep in the woods very remote and it's not something that you travel to in the winter time because it's almost impossible to get in and there's no running water um, anyways uh, one January I decided I was gonna quit the only way for me to quit pills and alcohol was to go to this cabin. I had a three-day weekend at work. 
I was going to go to this cabin. Um, I was going to cut myself off from anybody that could get me any sort of pills. Um, and I was going to withdraw um, until it was all out of my system. And um, I took some Xanax with me. I figured this would help me uh, with the come down. And I took a bottle of vodka with me and I headed out, right? Um, for the long drive. I'm drinking while I'm driving there. Um, I don't remember the first night there. I know I got there. I drank what was left of the alcohol and consumed all of the Xanax. And I woke up with the most uh, extraordinary amount of fear that I have ever felt in my life because already my plan has gone completely awry. I'm no longer, I no longer have the thing I think is going to help me and I'm all alone. I have nothing. I have nobody to talk to and I'm just left here with my thoughts. So I rummaged the the cabin for anything that I thought might help me get through this. And what I was able to find was some Benadryl. So I, uh, I poured out a handful of Benadryl, must've been 30 pills. And I remember looking at it and I thought to myself, I don't know if this will kill me, but if it does, I, I don't care. And, and I took 30 Benadryl and my thinking was that I just wanted to sleep. I just wanted to sleep through the withdrawal. Uh, what I didn't know is that if you take 30 Benadryl, you will hallucinate. And I began hallucinating without knowing that that's what was happening. I envisioned people inside the cabin laughing at me. Um, and I would reach out to touch them and they weren't there. Um, I, I hate to say this, but I drove this way. So I, I went to go get into my vehicle and there was a cabin next door to us. And I was like, oh, there's people at that cabin. And they were all outside laughing at me. And, um, I yelled over to them and said, hello. And nobody responded. They just laughed. Right. So. I got into the car, I drove into town, I wrote a hot check, grabbed some more booze, um, and somehow I made it back. And on my way into town, those same neighbors were by, were on the side of the road by a fire, like just surrounded a fire, um, again, laughing. And it was that point I knew like, wait, how can they be there? And also here, um, I knew that something wasn't quite right. But um, anyways, I got back, and uh, the next day after that wore off, I remember thinking, holy shit, like I hallucinated all that. And so what does an alcoholic or an addict do? I did it again. So I took 30 more Benadryl and, uh, and you know, this was how I was gonna spend the weekend. Um, a long story short, this, eventually did not work out well for me. It was time for me to go home. Um, and 
go back to work and I could not drive. There was no way I could, I could make a six hour drive. And so it was in that instance that I was forced to come clean to um, my family members and ask for help. Um, that moment was sort of the first introduction into um, any idea of professional help. Um, and with the support of my family, um, I started a process uh, that would be a very lengthy one into, into getting some actual healthy, clean sobriety. Um, I'll get into uh, to when it stuck, right? So let's just say, uh, you know, after a series of counseling um, and, and a failed rehab attempt, I finally was defeated enough and humble enough uh, to get into a program of recovery where I realized that I knew nothing. Everything I thought I knew about the world, about how it worked, about um, the, thing I, the things that I was owed, um, the things that had been done to me, and, and the things that, uh, that I was capable of were all wrong. Everything was wrong. Um, and the moment that I was able to let go of those old ideas and, and realize um, that I absolutely know nothing um, is when my recovery truly began. And it began with me learning the very first thing about myself, the one absolute thing that I, that I know um, still to this day, maybe the only absolute thing that I know about myself, and that is that I am an alcoholic and that my life is unmanageable. Um, I went through a process of looking at years and years of evidence and seeing quite clearly that, uh, that once I started, I couldn't stop. And even though it wasn't always like that for me, and even though there were times in my life and periods where I could take it or leave it, or I enjoyed it, it wasn't like that anymore. And it was clear to me that there was no going back. It just could not happen. I couldn't seem, no matter how hard I tried, to, to get back to drinking like a gentleman. Um, and so that's where I started my recovery, was, was knowing um, that I was an alcoholic and that my life was unmanageable. That opened up a number of doors for me um, because I was able to, to then um, go through a 12-step program where you know, I would learn about things um, such as a higher power. And I was able to reconnect with this sense of God who, you know, who I had turned my back on. And what I, what I came to realize in some of that work is that even though I had turned my back on God, God never turned his back on me. 
I had every opportunity to die in a horrible car crash. I had every opportunity to kill somebody. I had every opportunity to overdose. I had every opportunity to, um, to hurt, physically hurt um, people that I loved. And somehow that never happened. Um, and to me, knowing the way that I drugged and drank, the fact that none of that ever happened means that there was something of divine nature looking out for me. And, uh, and that's where I was able to lay the foundation for a new relationship with a power greater than myself. And if all that was true, then I knew that this power with it in charge and not Cameron in charge, that maybe, maybe there was actually hope for me. Um, and I'm so grateful because I was led to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous where I would hear people talk about um, having recovery. I would hear people talk about, you know, stories that were similar to mine, much worse than mine, and and how they had gotten, um, you know, their lives back and how they had put together um, a year, two years, 15 years, 20 years of sobriety, and it was uh, mind-boggling to me. Um, in fact, I, I mean, I, in, in a lot of cases, I truly did not believe it. It took me a lot of time in a, in a program of recovery to get to a point where I actually believed the people that would talk about having 20 years of time in the room. Um, and, uh, and I needed that hope, you know, I really did. And, 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 it, and, and it was just so great to hear people share the insanity that was happening in their brain and know like, dude, these people think the way that I think, like these people have that same, whatever it is that I have. Um, Cause I always knew I had it. I always knew that I had this different way of thinking. Um, and I found a room full of people that thought that same way. And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, so today, today, you know, I'm constantly reminded that I'm still an alcoholic. I'm constantly reminded that there's still work to do. Um, I'm pretty quick to discredit my own recovery sometimes because I feel like it's not perfect, right? And that's the work that I have to do today. Like that's that's uh, new acceptance for me is knowing that it's not going to be perfect and that's okay. Um, I'm still sober by the grace of God. I'm still sober today. Um, I have a beautiful wife who's never seen me drunk, who, you know, when I tell her stories of how things were um, is shocked and, 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 uh, and, and grateful that, uh, you know, that I've gotten to where I am. I have a, a newborn son and it's really given me new perspective towards, um, the pain and, and the hurt that I caused my loved ones. 
um, my love for this child is automatic and and the people who loved me my family members their love for me was automatic and all i had to do was be and they were going to love me and and i put them through so much hell um i tested that bond and that relationship um constantly and so um, I've been able to make amends with, with my family members and I, and I make a living amends to, to the cousin who passed away. Um, because, um, you know, I feel like my drug use tainted the last, um, year of our relationship together. And, um, you know, I would go visit him to say hello and I would ask him for pain pills. And this is somebody who's literally on his deathbed. And, um, and that ate at me for, for so, so long. Um, and I've been able to, to deal with that from a spiritual perspective and, and to make those amends with him and, um, and so many others. And, um, you know, that's what sobriety has afforded me to do. And, and anyways, I'm truly blessed and truly grateful today to, uh, to be sober, happy and healthy. And, and even though it's not perfect and, um, it's not always easy to see my life today is absolutely beautiful, amazing wonderful in so many ways that I never would have guessed for myself. Um, and yet, um, here I am and I am, um, I'm somebody who, uh, you know, always wants more. I don't know if anybody relates to that. Um, but, uh, but when I get the things that I want, um, it does not work out well for me. So I'm glad that I have a higher power who sees it uh, in his will to give me the things that I truly need. And, um, and I take those things today and I, and I express gratitude for them because um, I am truly grateful for the life that I have today and the people that I've met through, um, through my recovery, you know, and, and it's all because I had a drug problem. I always want to say that, you know, um, the life, the beautiful life I have today, the beautiful people that I get to surround myself with are all because I have a drug problem. Um, and that's pretty amazing. Um, anyways, that's all I got. And you guys can follow me here at the podcast, the other side of hell. Um, uh, or uh, at Cameron Eats Less Food. I swear I'm going to be more active on that. And maybe next time I tell my story, I'll talk a little bit more about food. But uh, anyways, that's all I got. I love you guys. Thanks. All because you had a drug problem. Like none, none of this would be what it is if you didn't have a drug problem. It's so fucking crazy to think about. Yeah. How the worst thing that ever happened to us is the best thing that ever happened to us. It's so... It's it's interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, dude, every time like I know your story, but it's like 
you know, when, when I get to hear it again and again, there's always some, some little bit more detail that goes into it. And I can, I can see your desperation and your pain a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I've heard the cabin story a half a dozen times or something, but never like it was this time you know? yeah. and, and getting into the, to the cigarette thing. Like there's so much more that I can relate with on you. So how do you feel about what you shared? This it was interesting around. because I felt like, well, I remember being really nervous when I shared my story, um, the first time. Mm-hmm. And I think that anytime I share my story, I have to sort of let go of how I think it's going to go. Right. Um, and, uh, and this time was no different, right? Like I just had to sort of let it go. However it was going to go. And, um, and I think what I appreciate about telling my story is it allows me to see the parts of my program that I'm currently thinking about. Yeah. Um, and the things about that story, because obviously there's a lot more to my story than that. Um, there's a lot more more story than, than what you shared. Um, but the things that I didn't talk about are, are not things that I currently am thinking about, right. right? That I'm, that I'm currently working on. Um, and so I think that in, in telling it, it's a really good opportunity for me to reflect on, um, you know, those parts of my recovery. Yeah. Your growth. Yeah. That, that really, you know, mean a lot to me. Um, so yeah, it it was, it was very interesting. I, I think that, um, um, uh, there's, there's something about the amends making process that for me is, is that speaks to me a lot these days. Um, mm-hmm. and just some of the amends that I've been able to make, uh, with family and, and friends. And the, the big one is the one that I talked about with my cousin because yeah. that, I mean, that literally just ate me to death. It, it yeah. ate me alive. I could see why. And, uh, and I really, that one was a a real difficult one for me to sort of work past and get through and, and, uh, and being able to talk about that in a way that, uh, that is healthy and positive today, um, means a lot to me. Yeah. I can see, I can see where your morals were compromised there. Right. And how, again, how cunning and baffling it is, you know, uh, we were talking a little bit about that situation before the show, how, um, you know, you, you would go over there with the forefront of your mind of intention, going to see your cousin with Mm -hmm. every, every bit knowing that, um, you're going to, you're going to try to score while you're there and, and Mm -hmm. sit around and bullshit with him with that idea in the, in the back of your mind going, you know, fuck you ever going to offer me a pill. And then, finally getting to the point where the pill wasn't offered you finally ask for it right right? because i and then feeling the guilt that comes along with like fuck i I missed the last year of his life trying to get high with him Mm -hmm. you know and and being able to it's such a true story like that that's that's the disease of alcoholism that's what it is Mm -hmm. right there where where here we have this opportunity to spend the last minutes with somebody's life that we love and we fucking blow it. Yeah. And then, of, of course, the, the monster inside of us is going to be like, you fucking piece of shit. You should probably just take a drink and die, mm-hmm. you know. And then, you know, where you, where you mentioned, and you mentioned a couple times where, uh, 
you you cursed God out loud, and yep, it would have been, uh, and that's something that I think is is powerful for you. It was mm-hmm. a, it was a powerful moment to come back around and regain a relationship with a God that you once cursed or a new version of of a power greater than yourself. Yeah, I mean, you know me, Willie. Do you do you do you when you look at me, do you see somebody that's dramatic enough to literally out loud like shake his fist at the sky and say, God damn you, God. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean it's 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 I can see you doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, but at the, at the same time, I, I identify your motive behind it. You know, mm-hmm. like, like this is okay. Finally, I can use with immunity. I have enough reason behind this was a loss. That's big enough for me to get away with the way that I'm using. Everybody nobody, will understand. Nobody can say shit. Right. Yep. Yep. And, and that's exactly what it was. You yeah. Know? Um, that's where, <clears throat> that's where things really went downhill for me. And, um, and I don't think that that, uh, is uncommon. I think that everybody sort of has a point in their recovery where things just maybe went from one level to the next. Yeah. Right. Um, that for me is a very clear, a clear moment of, of when I went from one level to the next. Mm-hmm. And I think it's exactly what you did. What you said is it was a way for me to sort of remove some of that, uh, some of that, um, the elements of, of, uh, guilt, Mm-hmm. And uh, by by basically just removing the thing to which my moral standards revolved around, <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. and by removing it, it was like fuck it, I'm out for me now. Yeah, you know? and, uh, and with a god like this, yeah, exactly, yeah. And there was a lot of people that were impacted by that. A yeah. lot of people that were in my life at that point afterwards that uh, that unfortunately uh, were affected negatively by that. And, and today the opposite is true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Today, um, those people, those loved ones, um, that are, that are in my life get to feel the impact of my sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now you're the voice of reason and you're the one that they're looking to for, for guidance and how to get through hard emotional things and, mm-hmm. you know, how to be successful on the other side of loss and that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, pretty dope. Yeah. It's pretty all great. because you had a drug problem. You know, I keep coming back to that because it's, it's, it, it really does make me grateful for it, which yeah. is just a weird place. Like it's a weird feeling to, to, to have when I look at the fact that I'm an alcoholic, the fact that I'm a drug addict and the fact that it took me to the places that I did with gratitude. Mm-hmm. And say, man, I'm so glad that happened. Yeah. Um, because uh, without that, I wouldn't be here. And I like where I am. I like where you're at, too. It's been uh, it's been a pretty interesting journey. So talking about myself isn't always easy. <laughs> you'd think, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You'd you think would, it'd be easier, but it's would, really not. You would think at this stage of the game. And I know you shared about that a little bit uh, last week with your story yeah. is that, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's getting harder and harder to do. Yeah. I just, I, I'm not as interested in myself as I used to be. Yeah. Exactly. I'm more interested in the people that give us their stories and yeah. identifying with them and connecting. 
Me that too. way. And hopefully, you know, somebody out there will identify with, um, with a part of my story, a part of your story. Yeah. This is why we do the stories is that, you know, we're out there trying to reach somebody that, that thinks they're alone and let them know that that's not the case. Yeah. Um, and that there are people out there that have your experience, um, and that have gotten better. And, uh, and I think that that's the important part of what we do here as a podcast today. So after a hundred episodes, 101, um, 101 now, um, I appreciate the opportunity to, um, to do the show for ourselves, for those who get some value from it. And, uh, and I can't thank you enough. Hellions. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> Hellions. Hellions. I like um, it. Uh, for the other side of hell community. And, uh, and we are just so grateful to, to, to be an ambassador of these amazing stories. Yeah. So couldn't say, I, I can't add anything to that. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's what I got. Yeah. What do you well, think? thank you. Dude, did you smell this candle? I did. So this is a candle from, uh, from Billy at brainwashed at brainwashed coffee. He sent us these candles. And it smells like coffee, only more candlier. <laughs> and I told Billy that. Like I was delicious like, coffee, more like, candlier. It's like, hey, dude, it smells like coffee, only more candlier. And he said, dude, I'm putting that in the website description. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, I'll just say this really quick. Um, uh, Billy is one of the many people that we've been able to connect with on Instagram. Um, and that is something I never would have asked for for myself yeah. is this amazing Instagram community that we have that my higher power saw fit to put into my life that I'm so grateful for. Like because of people like Billy, because of people like Alika, because of the Not So Anonymous podcast, Jim in California, Jackson, all these people like... I know that if I travel to any of these places, I have a place to stay. Yeah. I wouldn't you have know. my sponsor if it wasn't for it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, that's amazing to me. Yeah. And, and that just, I think, um, just speaks to the, the power of, 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 uh, of sobriety of recovery. And again, all because I had a drug problem. <laughs> so straight up anyways I just don't mean to go off as a tangent there let's get the fuck out of here <laughs> okay uh, I love you guys <laughs> yeah I love you guys thanks and, for sharing uh, your story yeah thank, thank you for letting me share it Jordan thanks again for all you do man thanks for reading really appreciate it um, you did a bang up job reading that Ryland uh, Ryland thanks for being still here still with us long after his commitment was due he's here on his own time now yeah. so appreciate that and uh, with that, let's get the hell out of here. Remember, guys, you are worth the work. We'll see you on the other side. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.